whimsical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, that is right. Welcome, everybody, on in to the final Saturday Night Network Roundtable of 2023 here to recap the Kate McKinnon and Billie Eilish episode of Saturday Night Live. My name is John from the SNN. Very excited to be back with you for this final Monday of the year. We got Christmas next week and New Year's the following week. So this will be the last time we are with you live on a Monday this year. And it's been an incredible year of Saturday Night Live capped off with this holiday episode where we had a former legend of SNL return to the show who brought some friends along as well. So can't wait to talk through everything from the episode tonight and bring in our guests. So let me say hello to TJ Randolph. TJ, how are you doing? John, I'm I'm black to be here. And uh, I think this was one of my favorite episodes of the season. Um, it might be one of my favorite episodes of uh, the 2020s so far. Uh, but it, that's, a, that's an easy win because Christmas episodes are usually pretty like well done but this was a delight of an episode i feel like it was like top to bottom it was like wonderful so i'm in a great mood because i had a great time watching this episode yeah i totally agree tj i had such a fun time with this episode i can't wait to talk about it even more tonight and joining us as well as a christmas tradition to have rich tackenberg join us on the round table so rich how are you doing I guess by default, I'm white to be here. That feels weird to say. I don't know. Uh, You know, I love this. uh, You know, for some people, the Christmas season officially starts after Thanksgiving. For some people now, it's right after Halloween. For me, it's after the round table of the Christmas episode. Now (laughs) it's time to start celebrating the holidays. So I did not like this episode as much as you guys did, but I loved that you loved it. And that's what I love about SNL. So I'm going to be really excited to talk about it. Oh, don't, you don't have to be fake positive. I, like, if I'm going to be positive, you can come in as the negative. Rich, let's make a beautiful vat of neutrality, toxicity, and positivity together. Bad cop, good cop. TJ, I like to be negative in the specificity. So mm. I'm positive now, but wait till we get to some of the sketches. I'm excited okay. for this. I'm, I, I'm excited for it. All right, well, let's bring in the arbiter of some of our debates that we will have tonight between TJ and Rich, and that is the wonderful Kirsten Rayala. Kirsten, how are you? I am great, and I will say I'm leaning towards TJ Land here because I also very much enjoyed this. I came in with very high expectations because, listen, she's booked because they are pretty much guaranteeing that it's going to be a great show. You get Kate McKinnon and Billie Eilish, who have proven already that they're great together. So I popped popcorn. I was ready. I was ready. Yeah, definitely. Um, Look, we never know what we're going to get with the Christmas episode. And I think that's the fun of doing these episodes. So before we get into the decision to book Kate McKinnon, Rich, I do want to ask you, I feel like I always ask you this question on a premiere like roundtable when we talk about what premieres are usually like, but what do Christmas episodes in terms of SNL mean to you? You know, it a lot of times for me, it's it's fun, uh, sometimes over funny. Ideally, it's both. It it's a it's a time when it feels like we're coming home. Often, we're seeing alumni come back home to SNL, and it's it's a it's a feeling of warmth. I love when Christmas episodes are not topical because it's it's a there's an evergreen feel to a classic SNL Christmas episode, uh, and just. And just the joy on the faces of people in sketches for me is what carries me through a great episode, whether it's hilarious or whether it's a, it's not quite. 
quite just to see them having fun. Uh, and also for me, it's, it's the, it's, it's winter break. It's like, it's like being a senior in high school and like, ah, oh, the minute that this class is over, I'm on break. There's that energy to the show of like, by the time we get to the good nights, I'm going to drink until early January and just, and just have a great time and sleep. And I feel like you feel that energy in a good episode uh, of, of the, of the Christmas, uh, the Christmas episode. Can I comment on what Rich just said? Go ahead, TJ. Rich, I love the comment you just said about an evergreen episode because I think we don't talk enough about like the more timeless episodes of SNL. Minus Weekend Update. I don't, I don't, there's no such thing sure. as a timeless Weekend right. Update. But do you think this episode could fit in the category of evergreen? Like if you pop this on, if you, you this is ever, an evergreen Christmas episode. Like you could pop this on any Christmas of any year and not wonder, except for Weekend Update, like what topical issues they're talking about. Because I didn't, I think this really was not a topical episode that I think could live on um, like in perpetuity. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think so. Other than maybe 10 years from now, if you're watching it and you're looking over at your Pongo and going, that's so <laughs> weird that they guessed Pongo was going to be a thing. But yeah, I do think that's so. I so think funny. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I think the other factor that we have to consider with Christmas episodes is, especially this year, which is that they started the season late. So we only had two weeks off from the premiere. So this was the eighth episode in 10 weeks of the show, which Ooh. is not easy. It's really hard for them to do what they're doing. And I do think that Christmas episodes sometimes represent that last push of like, let's bring everything we got, every idea that we want to pull out now. We probably are going to have a good host. We're probably going to have some guests. Let's just be extremely creative and do our best to do that on a holiday episode. And then we'll come back refreshed for the new year. Whereas, so like that, that's always my fear with the episode before the Christmas show, which is that they're looking ahead to this week. And they'll never admit that they would do that. But that's always my fear. Um, And I I do feel like the writing was better this week than some of the previous episodes where they got more creative with some of the sketches, Uh, some interesting concepts, whether that was the fact that Kate McKinnon was back in the building or the fact that it was the holiday show. Either way, positive for me. Kirsten, what about you? Any memories of Christmas shows? Or what, what does this mean to you to be able to watch an SNL Christmas episode? I think they're very relatable to people because they mine territory that is more broad in general, and they have a lot of fun with really well-known personas and archetypes. So family, right? We're all going home for the holidays, and you know it's where Drunk Uncle came from. It's where you've got all of the mm. crazy family dynamics. There's a dash of politics, but it's played as in the family dynamic. And then you've got you know the mom that does this, the grandma, the you know people living all under one roof, the cousins. Like there's so much there which also creates great ensemble pieces. And so you're getting so many of the cast, they're all playing these different fun characters and you can create so much around that structure that we end up with both, I think really fun, relatable content to mine, but also setting up the cast to um, have some fun working with each other in a lot of the scenes. DJ, what about you? Any Christmas episodes you think of when you think of SNL Christmas or sketches or moments and then like that make you feel like, okay, like we're at the SNL Christmas episode. This is so exciting. Oh, for sure. But like, you know, I, I am, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to qualify it. Uh, one of my absolute favorite episodes of SNL of all time, and this is when I was a big late night with Jimmy Fallon fan, like back in like 2011. Um, I don't remember if this episode was 2011 or 2013, but Jimmy Fallon hosted two Christmas episodes of the show, like two years apart. And I want to say it's 2011 and 2013. Yeah, And whichever one right. is the one that he did with Buble, that he did with Michael Buble. Yeah, I... Big fan of that episode. I used to watch it like a lot, um, especially the um, 
Michael Buble when he's doing like the Christmas hits and everyone's kind of doing their impression. And at one point they're like, oh, here's Lady Gaga. And Lady Gaga is just a Christmas tree with like a pink wig. Um, like I, I really enjoy that Christmas episode. It, it honestly makes me laugh. I, I know that like I was introduced to it, but I didn't know it was already like done a ton. But I think that episode introduced me to the, um, the thing with Catan and Horatio and Tracy that I wish it was Christmas today, which I know was like been done a lot. But at the time I was in, I had just graduated high school and I was like, this is so fun. I think I was a senior in high school and I was like, Oh, I just really enjoyed it. And so I think that was also a part of that episode. And um, there was something like, there was something just about like that pre tonight show, Jimmy Fallon that I really loved. Um, Yeah. Um, So that one is, that's a huge one for me. Those Christmas episodes are, there's a couple other ones more recently, but they are escaping me at the moment. But I just can I chime in? Santa's my boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, balls. Anna Gasteyer is Martha Stewart. Yeah, Santa's my boyfriend was the, was the one in 2006, I believe, where we yeah. get uh, opening it up on on Kristen and and Kate um, and Amy uh, all singing Santa's mm-hmm. my boyfriend. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that's yeah. the other thing about these SNL Christmas episodes for, uh, and this is really like for us, the people who are do the podcast and watch the podcast is we watch these sketches with like a meta factor, which is like, is this next sketch or was this last sketch going to one day be in the SNL Christmas special? Like, are we going to be seeing this sketch for years to come? And we don't like think about that with normal episodes, but with this episode or like a Thanksgiving episode, you're like, oh, that could be one we could see many times for many years. And I think that's also the fun of these episodes. I did forget one. I knew this one I was forgetting. The Eddie Murphy episode from a few years ago with Lizzo. That I think was... That they announced it months in advance, so you knew it was like, oh, like we're like they're trying to promote the hell out of it. Lizzo's song, like performances on that episode are like some of my all time favorite SNL performances. Eddie just came back and like, yes, I'm not saying it was perfect, but it was an electric show. Um, and so yeah, like well, that, this, so, this like, is a great Eddie segue, DJ. Yeah, because the Eddie episode from season 45 and the Kate episode from season 49 have something in common besides the fact that we got the North Pole sketch is that SNL booked Kate McKinnon prior to this season even starting. So they booked Kate knowing that she was going to be doing the Christmas episode and they had that ramped up. They didn't do the whole like PR stint of like, oh, Kate's coming. I mean, it's only been a year and a half versus, you know, Eddie was a long, long time. But yeah, they yeah, had that, yeah. You know, you know it's, <laughs> it's different. But still, they they booked her knew she was coming back the cast was excited everyone at the show was anticipating kate mckinnon coming back to the show so let's talk about the decision to book kate she only left us about a year and a half ago at the show but a lot of people felt that when she departed in 2022 this was absolutely a top 10 cast member in the history of the show somebody who changed the game for for women at the show um the fact that she was you know out gay and proud of it and be able to like you know incorporate that type of humor into her sketches was so important for like an entire generation of fans of the show so Kate McKinnon means a lot to a lot of people and I for one was excited to just see how she was going to come back and interact with some of the new players we got in the last couple of years so let's go around the round table and talk about the thoughts of Kate McKinnon coming back to host Saturday Live what do we think when she was booked Rich let me start with you you know, I mean, certainly a home run. I mean, you're absolutely right. One of the great cast members, uh, you want a ringer for the Christmas episode and alumni for the Christmas episode is always great. 
I always find it challenging when you bring back someone who's only been gone a year and a half. How do you make it an episode that feels like an alumni returning and not just another episode of that cast members? And for me, this episode struggled in that. I'm glad to see that it didn't for you guys, um, because for me, it, it felt like an episode that Kate McKinnon was on, not that an episode that Kate McKinnon was hosting. But that said, that's still pretty damn good. And, uh, you know, and certainly she does not, uh, she doesn't, uh, she does not deliver, uh, she does not not deliver. It was also interesting when you book Kate McKinnon, especially so close to being only 18 months out, when you look at and go, okay, are we bringing back Kate McKinnon characters? Are we going to bring back Kate McKinnon sketches? And it was an interesting how little they did, and I'm assuming that that was very intentional, uh, that they chose not to do some of her famous characters, and in, except for the very, very end of the show as a nice little callback, which I thought I would, I wish they had made a different decision. I would like to have seen a couple of the, of the, of the Kate classics uh, come back, which, which they didn't. Interesting. Kirsten, let me ask you, what do you think of Kate McKinnon returning to host SNL so soon? Was that the right call? Were you happy to see her name brought up on the card on screen once we knew that was happening? Uh, I think I squealed with excitement, actually, um, because I knew that it was going to be great. I think she she will always home run. And so there was a comfort knowing that it was going to be great. I wondered if we would see a lot of the material that she was so well known for and I'm quite glad we didn't because we probably would have said it was too soon. She'll also be back 10 times in the next 10 years or 15 years. Like she'll be back there so much. I don't mind that they're going to make me wait for it a little bit. I kind of like that. Um, and I think maybe where she blended in a bit, Rich, to your point, is that she's someone who, in stark contrast to Pete, doesn't live her life online so much. Like we don't know that much about her and so she really just is neutral that way where she kind of just it benefits her greatly in in this job that she has where she can just absorb into characters and impressions etc but it means that we don't know her all that well so it's it's a good and a bad thing right she just kind of like went right into the cast um and it wasn't the kate show but i think that's her whole thing yeah, you hit on two things that I think were really key for me with Kate coming back. One is, is that she probably the closest comparison I could make is like when Phil Hartman hosted a couple times, there was an excitement for me about seeing Kate McKinnon come back, because truly, we don't know Kate McKinnon to the extent that we know most alumni hosts. Like she even talks about this in her monologue, where she says this. I don't really like to talk in my own voice. That's kind of why I got into this racket in the first place. <laughs> Right. And like, that's was my thought was like, okay, so how like, what is she gonna do? Like, what's she gonna do for a monologue or something like this? Because we really only saw it through the lens of like, when she did Hillary, and she did Hallelujah. And then she was like, sort of talking through Hillary to the nation. We saw it with Dr. We Notice a little bit where it was like more of like her being a little bit vulnerable. But we just never like, got to know Kate in that way on the show. She was so in character or through her impressions all the time, that I found it fascinating for the world to sort of get to know Kate a little bit. And clearly she is much more comfortable, you know, doing all of these amazing, amazing things on the show. But I just thought it was really cool for us to get to see her that way. And that's what I was excited about this time. DJ, were you excited to see Kate? 
Um, I mean, like she said, they just had to reactivate her ID that she just still had. It was probably still, you know, like I don't know if Kate carries a bag. This New York, so she probably had a backpack that she like, you know, it was probably just somewhere in her backpack. She can just dig it out and be like, "Hey, fellas, what's up? Go on in, Kate." Um, it's it's like my thought about like how often does Scarlet just get in the car and come to work with Colin? Um, <laughs> but um, I I was a little intrigued, but more because I'm impressed by celebrities who i almost feel like kate is just so much more an actress and, and a performer than like a celebrity pete's more of a celebrity yes he's also a comic but he's also a celebrity um i and even though i don't think pete has social media right now i think they both have none of it kate hasn't had it the entire time she's been on the show like ever well here's a huge difference cj though between pete and kate is that pete like we got to know him on the update desk right away mm-hmm. talking, you know, directly to the camera and saying like, I'm Pete Davidson. And we learned about like his entire life, probably like completely to the other end of the spectrum than we did with Kate. So that's a huge difference there. It, it is. And you know, what's even more interesting is thinking about the two of them side by side, like thinking about the Pete booking and like, like the length of their times, like on the show, like Kate's clearly a better performer and a bigger star. Um, but Pete's still something great in his own right. Sorry, it's just, like, it was interesting to see, like, how she was going to be, and I've watched Kate McKinnon in interviews, and she always has that little bit of, like, nervousness that she kind of had here, but it was so interesting because, like, when she go when she was on, like, Seth Meyers or something, there's still a little bit of, like, comfort and ease and, you know, pre-interview, they can be like, all right, Kate, what do you want to talk about? Like, all right, I want to talk about my fish or my cat or something like that, but with this, it's kind of like, Kate, you're, like, on the stage, you're not wearing a costume, it's just you. We all can see you, Kate. Like, you know, what are you going to do? And it, I think what was even more interesting is when you're looking at that monologue, look how she lights up when the piano comes in and look how she lights up even more when Maya and Kristen walk on because that's when the performance can turn on and she can, you, you can tell she's even more comfortable. Like, yes, like she's doing all these jazzy little dances that make her seem like, you know, this weird alternate reality version of Ellen, um, you know, in the beginning, which also she's Kate McKinnon. That's who she is. Um, but there is something. So I, I appreciate that about her because I'm getting a little, I'm getting, a, I'm not always like, I like celebrity culture. I like pop culture stuff, but like, I do appreciate that. There's not a ton I know about her because it seems like she could have a relatively private life. And I kind right. of appreciate that. We, we know her, we, we have seen her talents for over 10 years. We know she's excellent. She's great. She's not going to have any problems getting a job. She's a great advocate. She has, like, she, there's so many good things about Kate McGinnon, yet we still see her humanity. And I think that's something so beautiful. We don't see her as just, like, you know, this celebrity god-like figure. We see her as, like, I, I see her as, as a person and as a woman, as well as one of the greatest performers we, SNL has ever seen. And I, I'm honestly kind of appreciative that she does still have a little bit of that reservation that she is still kind of behind performances. And I will also say, I am very glad that we got a break because I was tired by a certain point and I'm glad that she didn't do, I like as much as it would have been nice to see her on the, like I almost expected, I walk into this episode expecting it to be a Sudeikis episode, cold open monologue weakened up. They are everywhere like i was expecting to see her everywhere and she didn't she played the host role and it was weird because it was like oh it's just like kate's here but she's just kind of in everything well kate's always been in everything but kate wasn't in the monologue i mean she it's just it this episode did have a different energy but i think it still 
worked, but it's nice because we'll have a break. She'll be back next year because the 50th is coming up. So it's not like we're going to go without her for too long. Right. But the best decision that SNL did here was go 18 episodes last year and eight episodes this year without bringing Kate McKinnon back. So this felt more special. Like, I know it wasn't that long, but it still was something. Like, had we seen her cameo a couple times, I don't know that we're going to feel the same excitement for her hosting this episode. And I think when, like, Kristen came back, I think she hosted the finale the year, uh, was it the year she after did the she the COVID left? episode, didn't she? Well, no, I'm talking about her first time hosting. It was like pretty soon after she left the show, maybe the finale of the year after. And we had already seen her cameo previous to that. So it was almost like she never left that type of thing. And I love Kristen Wiig, but it just felt a little bit better this way. Kind of like when uh, Alec was hosting in 2017 when he was on the set. He was like in SNL all the time or when Maya like yeah. hosted a oh, couple years ago. And she'd been, Thanks, guys. Yeah. When like Maya hosted and she'd been back multiple times. Or By the way, again, let me say, there's nothing against Maya and Kristen. Um, also, we'll just say that. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's the one question I had is, well, yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm wondering if it's scheduling. Like, it might have been scheduling, or maybe she maybe she doesn't really mess with them like that. I doubt it. But like, where the fuck was eighty? Like, where? <laughs> why? Why? I'm sorry, but like, I know that. Like, I can see Kate McKinnon having a good relationship with Kristen Wiig because they did Ghostbusters. And that was a really fun movie. I really like that, and I could see them, you know, having that relationship. Cool. And I know Maya stopped in and was around a lot, like especially during the COVID year. So I can see that, but like, why not bring eighty? Mm-hmm. I just—is anyone else great, great by point. this? Great point. I do want to let Rich get in here because I think he's dying to get in. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Rich. Go ahead, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Go, I, jump in. Yeah, go ahead. I, you know what? I wasn't writing down my my contra uh, my counterpoints to TJ, so I lost the, I lost the thread a little bit. You know, yeah. I, the button I would put on on having someone so soon come back is you know what what I'm not seeing from what I didn't get from this. And by the way, she's amazing. Of course, I would book her. She's not physically much older as sometimes alumni are, where their their relationship with the cast becomes different because they're of a different age. She's not. So she's not substantially different in her career where she's now at a stature she had not been. She has not, and by the way, she's amazing. She has not used a muscle like Bill Hader playing Barry in a, in a artistically in a way we have not seen. And I don't necessarily feel like she opened up and I felt like, oh, I saw a side of Kate McKinnon I didn't know. So while I still thought it was a really good episode, and of course I would have co-signed booking her, it did feel to me just like another episode of her uh, from two years ago rather than a different episode. Like if you took this episode and seven or episodes from, say, seven uh, episode th- uh, season 37 and mixed them up and said, in which one is she the host? Other <laughs> than the monologue, I would not know. And I don't think that's often the case with a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, alumni hosts. That said... I still love her. And tell me when we're ready to talk about the cameos, because I have uh, I have thoughts on that, too. Do you feel like it's kind of the same as like when Eddie hosted? Um, or was it season eight? Whenever Eddie hosted, but it was supposed to be whoever it was uh, 48 hours co-star or whatever it was. Right. You felt like season it was eight, that yeah. where it was like this person couldn't show up. I mean, obviously, no, they didn't like book a Margot Robbie or Greta Gerwig or something. But like, do you feel like it was that energy of like, it was like, all right, a cast member is just going to host the show. So they're just going to be. No, because I I saw that episode as a kid and that was akin to Jesus Christ hosted Saturday Night Live. (laughs) That's what it felt like. And the fact that he had left and came back the conquering hero, it had a totally different energy. No, no, no. I'm talking during I'm talking um, during uh, when he was on the cast. And he's no, like, he came. Well, oh, he yeah, came yeah. back. Season, that that yeah. was season eight. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank yeah. I'm yeah. talking about his season eight. His season eight hosting. And he was still. I, in I the guess cast that is like, like such a unique, like that's a unicorn of an episode. Like that would kind of be the same thing as if like Keenan hosted right now. We'd just be like, oh, okay, like, that's <laughs> that'd be fun, so right? funny. Oh, I thought you were talking about when he first came <laughs> yeah. back, a, like a year later. Okay, right. But yeah. let's let's uh, yes. let's get into this because I I do think, and I'll, I'll just throw this out there. We could talk about uh, Chris Wiggins and my Rudolph being there, and uh, Edie and Cecily not being there. I do think that this episode benefited from not having um ad bryant for the reason that rich said where it did feel a little different than what i got from season 47 of the show but rich you you can talk about the cameos by all means yeah i mean it was it was interesting you know first off anytime you can give me you know those two cameos it's a win i mean they are killer they are so of course they're going to be great you know it was also but i will say for me it was a little bit also like to me snl is like coming home and and she's coming home and this was an episode where them showing up at first i'm just like Maya and Kristen, oh my God. And then I had this weird like Doctor Who Christmas special, timely, winebly, wait a minute. Kate wasn't on with either of those two people. Right. So it felt like an episode that well, Kate was on that they came. I mean, she was on with Kristen with for Christopher six months. Like, yeah, exactly. For six months. Yeah, but it's not like, so to me, I agree. I 80 would have been too much, but bring back Bobby, bring back Vanessa, bring back Hader, that oh. more of like the early Kate, but but to the true Kate time. So for me, it was great that they were there. They killed it in everything that they did. They are just, Maya can just make me laugh just by looking at the camera. But it it did take me out of this like, wait, where are we? What's going on? What what? Uh, and so maybe it worked as sort of a timeless aspect of SNL, but it definitely threw me off in like, I don't feel as much home, like we're returning to an era of SNL bygone. It was more of a, a sort of an, I guess, generic cameo feel to me, even though they are clearly heavy hitters in the cameo world. I honestly thought that the thing that we were going for in this monologue where they didn't go was I thought we were going to bring out all eight women who have hosted Saturday Night Live that are SNL alumni. Like I thought maybe we were going to then get like Tina and Amy, uh, Julia, like Sarah Silverman. Like I was like, oh, is that what's happening right now? Like, are we doing a thing where all the women who who were previously cast members like come up, Um, which like I think would have been like a really, really cool and like nice touch and almost like, you know, following up our discussion previously about uh, Tina and Candice Bergen coming out for Emma Stone. Like, could we have potentially gotten all the women five timers? Like, these are things that I do think about. I have to guess it was a little bit more circumstantial where it was like, who can we get this week? Who's around? That would be really fun to work together. Clearly, Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph were able to be there at least the day before, uh, probably Paula Pell too, who then they could just be in Tampon Farm, film it properly. So like the fact that people have that block in their schedules and they're able to show up. So maybe it was more circumstantial than anything else. Kirsten, you want to jump in on this? Who knows? They could all be working on something right now and have become BFFs in the current moment. And it was just a natural like, let's go to New York for the week and do this thing. Um, I adore those women. I also had the same disconnect, Rich, where I was like, wait a second, the math ain't math in here. What What is happening? I mean, they're all wonderful women. So I thought, great. And by the way, I hope, John, someone's listening and that we get that group of women on the 50th because they've got to do something like that. So I'm hoping you've planted a seed there. Um, I love when they show up. I was thrilled. You know, there's a thought in my head of like, huh, did we, did cast members lose anything to these folks? But all the cast members were in a minimum of two sketches. So I don't know that people lost out so much 
if I had to weigh the benefit of having these cameos with Paula, Pal, and Greta Gerwig, and Maya and Kristen. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we'll talk about this on Wednesday. This was not the, the Well Forte episode where no cast member was in more than two sketches. Yeah. Like here we had Chloe Feynman in six sketches. Like there was, you know, there was people who who definitely ate on Saturday night. So um, let's talk about those sketches from this episode. I'm excited to jump into some of these uh, moments that we had throughout the night. And um, we will start with you, TJ, with the sketch that you would like us to talk about. Uh, let's talk about, you know, the being that neither is alive nor dead. Let's talk about Pongo. And I wanted to bring this up specifically because SNL, since its inception, has been excellent when it comes to doing commercials. They're fun. The SNL commercials are a good time. There's been a smorgasbord, a variety on how to do it differently from the, what is it, the Bassomatic or whatever to Mom Jeans. Like, there's a million different SNL commercials. I really wonder what the number is. It has to be crazy. It has to be in the thousands. Maybe the high hundreds. Pongo is a sketch that starts with me thinking, oh, it's another weird like commercial. Okay, cool. Also, just want to pause to shout out um, my increasing love of J.A.J.'s commercial voice uh, because him and also, you know, Cecily Pryor, there's no reason the two of them need to be on SNL. They could be just making money on commercials, um, like and given what they pay okay, actors. So, so here we go. Yeah. There's approximately 1,725 commercials oh. that have aired in the history of Saturday Night Live. The fact that you have that, I love you, John. I, I really do. Um, approximately. Approximately. <laughs> allegedly. Um, but, but, no, but, uh, so. but of course, wait, 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 hold on. Sorry. But of course, I mean, Kristen Wiig, you know. You know. I was in over 38,000 sketches here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Ask Wikipedia. No, yeah, no, no I, did, I did audibly <laughs> react. I'm, I'm sure every single Saturday Night Network uh, podcaster and like, listener audibly stood up in their chair. Like, I know I was like... I'm, I was like, I was like, that's not fucking true, Kristen. Like, I reacted so hard at the screen. I was Leo pointing at the screen in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was like, nope, that's not true. Um, and I was like, wow. Wow. L- life is cool. But no, let me get yeah. back to Pongo. So, please. A couple notes on it. One, did Pongo have to be a CGI creature 100% of the time? Because there's no, like, costuming and, like, design. Like, all that stuff... Why couldn't they just make like a styrofoam little dog thing and like wrap it in like a weird like gift wrap paper and use that at least for some of like the still shots. But there's points where like they're petting Pongo like you could have easily like made something. But like, I don't know why it needed to be CGI. The whole it seemed like it was CGI the entire time. Like at some point, Chloe Feynman is petting the dog and it's so clear that it's CGI. But that was like a weird like. That was a weird thing for me because I was like, did you need to do it the entire time? But the main the main feature of the sketch that like got me to call back what I was speaking to earlier about uh, commercials was that, you know, we've seen a million like SNL commercials. We know the beats that they're going to go. And this one did follow a similar formula I'm going to bring up in just a moment, which was, you know, it starts with the product and the product slowly begin like it's, everyone loves it and it slowly begins to like, you know, uh, weird out someone a little bit. Which I think, you know, good through line, tried and true formula. It works. Sure. I'm ha- I'm having fun. Like, I'm like, oh, this is silly. It's fun. Sir Sherman's freaked out by Pongo, blah, blah, blah. But when Kay McKinnon cocks the shotgun as uh, Sarah Sherman is digging the grave for Pongo, I felt like we took a couple extra steps that only, I don't, like, that only, like, a Sarah Sherman character or, like, these new writers at SNL could really 
like that this generation of SNL writers could only add on because it gave me the feeling of, I'm wondering whatever else I was going to think about this, the State Farm sketch with Michael B. Jordan, where it's a sketch that starts slightly normal, except that sketch gets started a little earlier, but it ends with something completely depraved where Mikey Day is about to jump off of a bridge because Michael B. Jordan, like as Jake from State Farm, has stolen his wife. Also, shout out to that sketch. St- I still think, great like all time like not all time but just a great like year uh year end sketch but um the fact that like i felt like the devolving with this one went further than i expected i feel like sometimes you watch a sketch and you may not know the full beats of where it's going to go but you're watching it thinking i want to make sure i take this right you're watching it thinking you kind of know like how hard you might laugh at this and then you're delightfully surprised sometimes but sometimes something will steer past that and it's like, oh my god! It to it to the point of going from like enjoyable involuntary laughter to pure shock and awe that they had the audacity to do these things and cause a reaction within you. And I felt like this sketch did it the minute Kate McKinnon cocked the gun, um, because there was something about it that turned from like you know weird commercial sketch that goes into a dark place that made it start to have sort of that adult swim turn that I really think Sarah, I really think of when I think of Sarah Sherman, like those old adult swim infomercials where it starts normal and gets super, super, super weird. And there was something about like, I don't know if Sarah Sherman wrote it, but like having her at the center of the piece, I thought was a perfect like casting. Like, I'm glad that this, like it seemed like it could have been a family sketch, but that it focuses on her and like her in a horror movie, like with Pongo. And so I, I just really enjoyed that, uh, that pacing. Like I really liked that, like the sketch surprised me in the end because I thought I knew how it would end. And that's, and I just, yeah, I, it, it just surprised me. And I, I really, and not just in like in a comedy way, but like in a, a beats way that it took way more beats further than I thought. And so I, I just enjoyed it. Yeah. A couple of points of clarification. So I believe that Pongo, there was some CGI there, but I believe they made an actual Pongo because I saw on social media that that they like unboxed Pongo and like Sarah was like, oh, it's perfect. Because Sarah Sherman, uh, from my understanding of Dan Bula's social media, said that Sarah came in with this sketch like fully formed and then he sort of like cleaned it up a little bit and and then they submitted it together. Um, But yeah, this was like a full Sarah piece that she put together. and I, I loved every minute of that. I'll say this, this sketch like spoke to me, um, you know, we compared it on Saturday a little bit to uh, almost pizza, a little bit of a happy fun ball from like a couple of other very classic commercials that we got where people become like obsessed over this thing that's just like very confusing and like trying to understand like why everyone's obsessed over it. But this speaks to like my humor in a way, because this is just like sometimes like how my friends and I talk. And I think other people who are listening could probably relate to this, which is that we become like so interested in something that is so stupid that we just like talk about it to death. And I think like the idea here that like, wait, okay, this is kind of a cute idea. Like we can have a pet that has like no holes. Like, oh, that's fun. Like that's a good idea. And then it just like gets crazier and crazier and devolves. I love that. So Rich, what do you think of Pongo? I also really like this sketch in some ways a little bit differently for different reasons. I will say what I liked about this is I felt that this was very topical in kind of the conversation around AI and also very timeless. This idea of like, you know, you can tell you all your secrets to Pongo and like it, it had that like, you know, that, you know, that idea of like an AI bot. We were even talking about like, you know, would, you know, would you love an AI dog as much as you would love, you know, a real dog depending on the programming. And so to see this, 
it had it had undertones of those conversations, but then it was also, as you said, no, in some ways, happy fun ball, a, a timeless thing. So I really liked that. I also really liked where it didn't go. Because Ooh. I thought we were going to get to, and now the dog starts killing people, and it's it's a demon, or it's a it's you know it's Satan, or that people were going to go truly crazy and start killing people, especially feeling the Sarah Sherman. I felt like the sketch walked a really nice line of it got crazier and crazier, but it never got so crazy that I was like, okay, now we're just in crazy land. Now we're now it's not a commercial anymore because the dog never actually did anything that. That was truly evil. It was just on the edge of it goes from the hallway to the to the outside window. How did it get there so quickly? But I loved that they kept playing with that. And everybody, and I like that people like everyone else loved the dog, but it was never this like maniacal, crazy love, except for grandma, which was fun. It was just like yeah, we have to choose rich. between me or a pongo. And they were like, Oh, Pongo. Like I liked the, I love the offhandedness of it was so, it wasn't like Pongo. We must, it was just like, Oh no, I choose Pongo. Like that was that line that was so beautiful. And then Sarah got to be really kind of the crazy one at the very, very end. So, so I thought they walked a really, really wonderful line on the sketch. By the way, that line, which let, let me just play that in case uh, you want to hear that one again. You have to make a choice. It's either me or Pongo. Pongo. Also Pongo. Absolutely Pongo. A thousand times Pongo. God, I love Dismuke's deliveries. I love Dismuke. Like, he was Kate so with the a thousand line. times Pongo. Thousand uh, times. She almost whispers yes. Pongo with the Pongo. Yes, I love this also because uh, my fiance had this exact conversation with her mom, like when she was younger, where it was like, at it's either point? me. No, not at point, <laughs> but but it's it's either me or the pet, and everyone's like the pet. <laughs> like, this, is such, this is such a normal thing that people do experience. That I just like love that they incorporated there, and and that's the thing, Rich. I love your point because again, this could have gone in a way where the the you know Pongo got destructive, but they kept it like creepy but not like a killer. I think I saw someone mention like Megan in the chat, which, you know, they were, uh, they did last year uh, during that Aubrey Plaza episode. So um, like little things like this, I think add to it where it, it left, um, I think by keeping it creepy, they leave it ambiguous, which makes it still funny. So like stuff like this. He just moves silently through your house. Like a spider. Like that's that cre- music that scared thing. the heck oh, out of you me. You cut off the best <laughs> yeah. part, which is, I don't love that. Like, <laughs> that was such a great, that's when you go, oh, okay, now I know what the game is. With such a subtle line, she goes, I don't yeah. love that. And you go, oh, I see where this is going. Mm, chef's kiss. Yeah. Right, right. And that's kind of a little thing with like them closing, like her closing the eyes. And right. then it just goes <laughs> like open right back up. Uh, that time. <laughs> uh, Kirsten, what do you think of Pongo? Um, yeah, Pongo is real. I also saw the reveal. In all of its non-CGI, soft, wet, holeless glory. Hey, hey, oh, come on. Yo. Yeah, Bongo. Um, I I love that it was, yeah, it was like two sketches in one, right? I started off a certain way, like it could have been another one of those Kristen Wiig getting the robe again or whatever that was. And uh um, but then it turned into something very different and interesting. So I'm loving these twists because we, we dissect these things week upon week upon week. And so when you can give us a bit of a usual suspect twist, I am here for it. Um, I thought Sarah's acting with the jump scares was very, was great. 
um, very believable and uh, enjoyed those. And I, I loved her line when at one point she kind of went like, it's only been 36 hours. <laughs> All this had happened in such a short time. Um, but Rich, picking up on one, you said, I, yeah, I love that this is one of those like futuristic products, like dreamt up by some tech CEO, you know, like, hey, selfish humans, you want a pet and all the benefits of a pet without having to actually get a pet and take care of an animal. And it's, again, probably on the cover of Wired at some point. And this is what the future of, of animal and pet ownership looks like. So um, I hadn't leaned into that, but absolutely that's there where this ridiculous thing. If it had, had eyelids, it wouldn't have been creepy, by the way. It did have eyelids. Like, well, I mean, eyebrows. Permanent eyelids. Eyebrows. Like, just the fact that it had, like, the big bug eyes, like, just made it creepy. So, something you said just reminded me of something. There was a a, a pet with no holes. This was, like, a... This is going to be a thing for, like, 90s kids. There was, like, a late 90s, early 2000s toy. It was, like, a little miniature robot dog with, like, wow, light-up ears. Holes. Um, and you could get them sometimes like, stop it. Um, you could get, <laughs> you could even sometimes like get them these little, like, uh, these little robo dogs that like, they, they had them in the McDonald's happy meals for like a while, but if any millennial, no, no, this, it was a, it was a little bit after Tamagotchi, but it was a little dog. It was like, just look up like robot dog two thousands. Like you'll see it. It's like a little thing and it has like a led light up visor trust me like millennials driving their car right now from ages like 25 to 35 are gonna like almost like just veer off the road and when they are like really like oh this is what it is yeah but like you guys don't know what i'm talking about do you no you remember this product no, but i'm okay. so used to that tj i'm mm -hmm. it's it's common ground for <laughs> yeah. me tj is not used to that he typically is the one who does not know what we're talking about whatever but, yeah. i yes i don't know things yeah. sometimes but TJ, you're on with the old folks this this week so uh, you hear that john you're on with the old yeah. folks um, i'll take boy, it i think john's younger than me shit um we also let's talk about andrew and the paw oh and how long oh, yeah. they let that play out for <laughs> Kudos, yeah. to also, him. Kudos to the editors to let it go that long. Yeah. It was so great. Yeah. And it was Andrew being Andrew, right? Like that was his personality and his style in how what, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, however long that was. Oh, it's the best. And I love it because you think, like, I think the I love the misdirect that you think, oh, that's the first, that's the first misdirect because you think, oh, that's going to be the game is Pongo doesn't work. Like he's not a bad toy, but like, just. I, like an, another great SNL pre-tape. Like, what, what, what are we preaching to the choir here? Wow. Yeah. Another great SNL pre-tape. Yeah. I, I think this was, uh, this was awesome. I, I think this was my favorite pre-tape so far of season 49. Um, I really just enjoyed every minute of it. And I love that they just went in that dramatic direction. Yeah. And I also think like, I, I do think that um, one thing that SNL has gotten really good at over the last few, at least I'll say over the last few weeks, if not the last few years, is they can do tone change really well within a sketch where it is basically a, you know, like a, almost like a children's, you know, TV commercial at the beginning. And then when they get to the dramatic scene outside, it like almost turns into like the walking dead where you get uh, like dramatic, like turn of the camera and then we see like Kate McKinnon standing behind Sarah Sherman with the dramatic music like I just think that the editors um and the whole team like the whole pre-production team is just unbelievable so to me these are things that I'm sure that the SNL writers and cast members can really appreciate because they get to be more creative I don't think we're gonna get to this sketch I mean I don't know if we are but that thing you said about tone change I think the um the sickle cell sketch does really well where it goes from like light 
to really dramatic where she gives her the cure. And then the minute Keenan says, I want this boogie woogie Santa, like the minute, like that, that immediate, like the audience uproar works. And when Punky gets the same line, I think like, well, let's, let's put a pin in that. Cause maybe we'll get to that on the, uh, when we do a second round. Uh-huh. So, yeah. um, look, looking forward to getting Rich's thoughts on that later on in the show. Uh, <laughs> Rich, what sketch do you want to talk about? I would love to talk about the ABBA sketch. Uh, you know, this is not a, not an all timer, but for me, this was the most fun of the, you know, what do I want a Christmas episode? I want it timeless. I want holiday. I want cameos. I want singing. I want people breaking. I want fast pace. I don't want it to linger too long on any one joke. And for me, this delivered on everything. I just thought, you know, just so much fun, the four of them together. And it's just so stupid. It's so stupid. And they knew that it was stupid, you know, and, you know, and so just, I loved everything about this. And what, what I really liked about the writing of the sketch, because this was a performance sketch, but what they did when they wrote this is they went, all right, how do you heighten something so simple and so stupid? And they did it with the faces and the proximity of faces and the positions and poses. So by the time that, you know, Maya's and Kristen's face, they're touching noses and they're singing it just kept getting more and more silly and then on top of that that little nice touch of they're not just singing abba songs they're singing christmas versions of amazon of of abba songs i don't love abba but i knew all of those songs so when they were doing that la 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 i was just laughing so hard at how great it was it was just so great rich let me play that line yeah so good <laughs> it's so and you know that when they were in the writer's room at three in the morning and someone did that they went we're not, are we gonna put that in like is that funny or are we just tired like that's what, what we're paying that, for and it, and it was we're not paying them anything yeah <laughs> that's, yeah it that's was they're, yeah they're paid for um but yeah Yes, I, uh, oh my God, this was so funny to me. This reminded me so much of like, like having drinks with your friends and then doing like karaoke or like, you know, just like being at like an event, like whether it's a concert or like a wedding or something. And you're just like, just going like all out to a song. You like that's what it felt to me. And it was just, it was pure joy and everything I love about this show, which is that like, I can have a really interesting, serious discussion about like sketch writing and like sketch concepts. And then I can get this, which is just pure insanity and fun. And I have to say like uh, all four of them were really great in this. Maya Rudolph was fantastic in this sketch. So great. Yep. Her face. Like I honestly, like, what I would love, you know how we're getting like those like T-Mobile like behind the sketch things that like pop up on social media where they show like behind the scenes. Like here's like a free idea. Like go redo that sketch, but just have one camera on each of their faces and separate it into four oh. quadrants so we can watch them individually. Because I guarantee you, if you watched the Maya camera, you would have the time of your life with how serious she was in that sketch. And I would add to you, and I would also bet that if we could see the dress rehearsal, that Maya held some powder in dress in order to really make Kristen break, which I just loved so much. Yes, let alone the fact that we got this line for Maya. The dress days, she's super depressed. 
<laughs> which was which was so great. This is Noonie. It felt like that. Uh, isn't there a character Noonie. that like her and Kristen Noonie. do where they're like running around uh, with like a uh, golf cart? You might think of the the, the showcase uh, sketch, but I'm more thinking of the her and Fred Armisen used to do like the Noonies where Noonie. oh, it's, right. No, it's Noonie. Um, and, Noonie. Yeah. Noonie. Yes. Yeah. And by the no, way, shout Noonie. out to J.A.J. and the writing of the, the yeah. narrator. There are a lot of funny lines about Fleetwood Mac and being first alphabetically, like just so many good, <laughs> just to keep us laughing every step of the way. It was so good. Yeah. Seeing J.A.J. break a little bit in the sketch reminded me a little bit of like when Chevy Chase broke for the first time in SNL history and you're watching and you're like, like 12 or 13 episodes into the show and you're like whoa people can break on the show like i didn't ever expect it like jj to break and then i could just like see him trying to keep it together and again like that is like that's my law like of breaking is like somebody trying not to break is the funniest thing that can happen somebody breaking is yeah. not as much so i i just think everything was clicking here for me kirsten how did you feel about the abba christmas i loved it so i grew up listening to abba on record like a record player yes and ABBA is fantastic, and I love them, and I know all the lyrics. And somehow I had forgotten that they do the face thing. So when they did the face thing, holy smokes, that was my first Christmas present this year. It was so funny. Oh, my gosh. So this, to me, like if I could be a fly on the wall for the whole time that they were writing and preparing and rehearsing and performing this, they're all that's my dinner party crew, like Bowen. Kate, Maya, and Kristen. I'll cook them whatever they want and I don't even cook. Like that would be the most fun I can imagine ever. I was excited for Bowen who got to be in this sketch with these legends. I was excited that JJ, um, you know, cracked up a bit because that was very rare and I noticed it. The Kristen and Maya, tr yes, trying to make each other break when her she's in, got her face in her hair, <laughs> and then they did the sides. Oh my gosh, it was pure magic! And the lyrics were silly, and the outfits were silly, and Bowen with the hair, like he. For people who don't really know Abba, Bowen's hair, that was legit how the guy's hair looked. It was kind of fluffy and a little long. It's all very seventies. And they were very bedazzled and shiny. And it was that strange, but wonderful. So I'm going to rewatch this one many, many times. Yes. And I will also, I mentioned this a little bit on Saturday, but uh, for those who don't know the lore of ABBA on SNL, which is just this like crazy thing. If you ever go back and watch season one, episode five of the show hosted by Robert Klein, I believe that that is the episode where Lorne Michaels quit the show during the week of the episode and they were scrambling to figure out what to do so dick ebersall took over that episode and booked abba as far as i understand as a musical guest which was like not a lauren choice at the time they were more like popular music whereas um like lauren was booking like less popular acts that more like worked for the vibe of the show so abba came was booked and then like didn't make it in time and then they ended up like pre-recording some of these appearances and there was a whole thing about like during their appearance where uh there's a scene happening in front of them singing and water is filling up on the boat and it's like a little bit of like a titanic situation where like the tables are flying and stuff like that it's like one of the craziest musical performances that you will see in the show's history and just like the lore of that for longtime snl fans to then just see them like do an apple sketch like this was really fun too um so just wanted to bring that up as well tj what do you think of Abba christmas well i, I definitely you know don't have the, the storied 
pass with that, but like you guys do. Like to be honest, my biggest association I've never seen Mamma Mia one or two. Um my biggest association with ABBA is that um in the second season of Community, uh Dan Harmon, who's the creator of that show, spent the entire music budget for the rest of the season on ABBA songs for the Halloween episode, and they were only like six episodes into production of like a twenty-four episode season. And it's just a really funny thing that he just he ended up having to use his own money for the rest of the music for the rest of the season. But that episode that Halloween episode is scored with ABBA songs the entire time. And it works really well. It's really, really funny because they make a joke like, oh, does somebody remember to turn off the Dean's playlist? Um, so that's my only ABBA association, really. Like, anytime Dancing Queen comes on, I mean, that that's so, is it with me? I know that song was good 10 years ago, but it just feels like it's just getting gooder. Like, it just, you know, you know how songs just go on waves? And just, I feel like Dancing Queen for me right now is just higher and higher like it's a great track everyone knows it is but it's just sometimes like a song yeah, you've got really a hit. list there is so much more there no is so i, much I more. know i've heard other abba songs Woo! i'm just not i haven't like dove into them but so for me this was more about like okay like what's the sketch gonna like be and at first i struggle because i'll be honest anytime i see kristen wick start to sing i get nightmare uh thoughts back to garth and cat who i can't stand honestly i think one of the worst SNL characters. Like I hate Garth and Cat with so much. Praise fear. TJ. You know yeah, me too. I, I'm, I, I'm with you. I cannot Ugh. stand Garth and Cat. But I appreciated this. And by the way, this is also coming from somebody who was watching like a bunch of Emma Stone episodes and old episodes lately and was seeing a lot of Kristen Wig and seeing like a little too much. But this wasn't the case at all. The minute that like my the minute that they're like their faces are together, it's it's just cracking me up. But two things came up to my mind. One I don't think we give enough appreciation to whoever's choreographing dancing on the show. They have to remember, they don't even have to remember the lines for sure, but they may have to remember the mannerisms, there's performance, but then who is somebody performing on the other side of the camera dancing? How do you remember dance choreography mid show? So I just want to give a huge shout out to like that piece. Like, yes, the dance moves are very simplistic, but to remember that when you have to remember like a million other things that you're doing, I think it's just like, just shout out to the misperformers in the show, just the machine that it is. I don't think we talk about that enough from a choreography standpoint. Um, and two, there's an unhingedness you see in Maya Rudolph's face that John is hinting at, where there's a shot of Maya and Bowen in the same shot, where on one of the, fa-la-la-la, like on one of those pieces, Maya's eyes almost seem to burst from her head and her head starts to shake that it Bowen, like, you can see it, like, he is, like, dying, like, it is so funny to me, like, just that moment, because, like, in the first shot, it's like, okay, she's, like, doing it, but in the second, she's clearly laying it on, and it's just another just great shout-out to Maya Rudolph, um, so that's all, that's yeah. all, like, the sketch really made me think of, but I, I think it was another good note, like, it made me smile, it made me laugh, um, but I don't think it was really, like, a low point for the, oh, also makes you think of Barry Gitt's top show, talk show a little bit. That's what it, that's what the sketch made me think of too. Um, but yeah, it was fun. Shout out to Alice in the chat who mentions because he was there for the dress rehearsal and says that there was somebody behind the camera leading them and timing them. So of course you get that choreography okay. element to it all. Um, and yes, uh, to what you were asking, DJ, is like, uh, look, is ABBA cool again? I, I think so. I mean, they're having a renaissance for sure because, uh, you know, ABBA music is being played movies. in club. Well, besides the movies, their uh, their music is being played in like clubs now more than ever. Oh yeah, uh, I've heard yes, them. Like, yeah, there's like yeah. "Gimme Gimme Gimme" remix and like "Vu Le Vu" is being played a yep. lot. So like, there's a lot of songs that are uh, being played now. Um, 
as like throwback songs that people just absolutely love. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, for me, it's, it's just works on every level. So glad we got this in the show and uh, definitely the one that I've watched the most since the episode, just because uh, it just made me crack up. Okay, Kirsten, what sketch do you want to talk about? Tampon farm. Tampon farm. <laughs> Tampon Farm. Um, I really liked Tampon Farm. In my notes, because I take notes as I'm watching, I wrote pre-tape, Kate with guitar, Maya, Kristen, Billy. Was that Paula Pell? <laughs> Tampon Farm. And then I wrote the cauliflower one. So I think what was so funny about this one is it was only about two and a half minutes. The first minute. I was like, okay, this is like, you know, clearly she's leaning into this like lesbian guitar, Lilith Fair kind of vibe. Like, wasn't quite sure where it was going. There was a bit of a misdirect when Kristen ate the banana the way she did. I know. Because like, it didn't turn out being, yep. Maybe yep. that's just because um, she eats her bananas. Hey, That's how she, she eats needs, her bananas. She needs, she needs to calm down is what she needs to do. She needs to sit down She needs to calm down with those bananas. <laughs> she was showing off. Um, so- it was a great <laughs> reveal. I'm sorry, Kristen. I'm sorry. It was a great reveal. And I did not see that coming. And it was so silly. And it's, for some stupid reason, it's still a bit of a taboo thing to talk about tampons. And even the idea that a lot of men are like, super plus, regular? Like what? Like just all of those inside jokes, I guess. Pardon the pun. That's horrible. About... <laughs> Um, <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> well done. Um, Chris, you can it, say it. We can't. Yeah. But it just, it, it's, it's come so easy. So I liked that little bit of a hood wave. Well, and mean, then of course you had more cameos. You had burlap outfits and the long hair. And you've got some of the current cast in with these cameos and you had Cameos on cameos. We did some Inception cameos. We got Paula Pell and Greta Gerwig in there. Billie Eilish. Um, you can look up the lyrics. They're pretty darn funny. Um, and I like that they're just opening up conversations for people to talk about tampons. Because, you guys, they come from a farm. They do come from a cabbage patch. Some different types come out of tree pods. And some do grow like cauliflower. If you didn't know, now you know. Yeah. Uh, th this was so much fun. I, I think it was a, a really interesting concept here. Uh, it was dangerously close to a hat on a hat, I think, where you had a situation where it's like, okay, like, what if there was like, what if tampons were produced on a farm? Okay, great. What if we sung about it? Great. And then there was the other idea, which was the last line of the song, I believe, which was, um, we're going out of business because they're singing instead of farming. So then it's the idea <laughs> that they're, that, that they're, <laughs> They're produced like the, the tampons are being produced on the farm, but they're not actually making any money off of them. And, and I think like it, it became like a little muddied, but but overall, like I just think like if you're not going to be like nitpicky about this, like this was really really fun. And like again, like for to have like all these really powerful women in the sketch doing that, like I think it was just a great moment for the show uh, and a really exciting one. So TJ, what did you think of Tampon Farm? I, this, you know, I enjoyed it in the watching and then the sketch even grew on me more because I was working today and, um, uh, Heather and I were on the phone, um, 
Like sometimes we'll just like passively just like be on the phone or whatever while we're working. Um, or no, we're not any employers who might hear this. Um, but like, um, so I'm, I haven't like Heather and I haven't said anything in like five or 10 minutes and I'm just like typing all of a sudden I start. That's humming. a new relationship thing, by the way, not that you guys huh? are so fresh, but I'm just saying, well, like that, that, that will go away one day. Thanks, <laughs> one day man. you'll be able to just like sit on the phone and be like. No, I, no, no. So like, it's like a passive thing. So like, she's working, and maybe we're not talking for like ten minutes because we're doing something, and like, it's just you know, just yeah, you're also, just breathing. Whatever, yeah. you're engaged. Don't ruin my new relationship. Um, Sorry, like, I'm me, just saying. Like, enjoy, enjoy it while you can is what I'm trying to say. I, I am, sir. Um, enjoy the silence. Um, actually, we're long distance. Like, I have silenced the majority of the the day. Um, but no, like, um, my my thought that I was before I was really interrupted. Instead of a regular TJ interruption, um, my my thought was uh, I was I started humming Tampon Farm without realizing that I was doing it, and then I started singing it, and I'm realizing that like Heather, who hasn't seen the episode yet, like is <laughs> overhearing this, and I don't know what it sounds like when your boyfriend just starts humming the phrase Tampon Farm multiple times, and you have no idea why the fuck he's humming that, but. I don't know. It just the song it like has been putting me in a good mood. I think it's really funny. Um also I thought it was crazy, but I thank you for confirming that that was Greta Gerwig that I saw in the pre-tape because for a moment I was like like I was like, all right, I know that actress that I you know when you're going through and you're like, Oh, I know who these actors are, and then you see one person is like, Who is that motherfucker? Who who like why don't I know you? And I was like, I felt crazy because it was so quick. Um, also shout out to Billy Eilish shaking a tree full of tampons and then just raining it Um, I, it's, you know, what's so funny is if you would have told 15 year old immature, doesn't know much about the world, you know, uh, young boy, TJ, like you'd be laughing at a sketch called tampon farm. He'd look at you like you were crazy, but I'm 30 and I'm a grown ass man. Like a tampon is just a fucking word. Um, like, uh, in something, honestly, that I don't have to deal with because life is unfair towards women. Um, that's not that's not uh that's not me highlighting or cheering on men that's me pointing out how shitty life is for uh how like how much it's life shittier is shittier than in canada that they're taxed oh. that's what's shitty um yeah. so john just, do you I, have any of these queued up by the way do you have any of the song queued up oh yeah, yeah. um so it's it's uh it is harder for me to queue up a music video um as much so i didn't really mm. do that because it because these things are like a little bit more visual but was there mm. a specific line you were looking for Oh, I'll just read it. The sun makes the fibers, the hand load the fibers into little things of plastic to go in a vagine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's just, it's oh the, it, on top of the song being catchy, the writing is top notch. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. And yeah, I just, I had a really fun time, like, watching this. Yeah. Sorry. I just, I, I really, really liked it. Also, for a moment, there's something really funny where, like, and I think it's it's really done well because you have to play well to do it for humor. But a moment where I think some of the farmers are beginning to make out and they cut to a shot of Marcelo and he's the only male in the entire sketch. And Marcelo just like is like grinning up and down. And when I watched it, the first I'm pretty time, sure like, he was watching Kristen Wiig with the banana. I think that's what was happening there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but when I'm watching it, I'm like, wait, what is he grinning at? And I didn't get it till the second time that he's just watching them make out. I thought at first and like, this, if I'm being honest. When I was watching it the first time, I thought he was proud of their farm work. That's how <laughs> dumb my brain is sometimes. Like I was like, "Wow, he's another farmer respecting those farmers." Until I realized the scene, like it was. That's how good of a time I was having with that sketch that I thought a man was paying more attention to farm work than women kissing, as he should. Um, 
<laughs> um, yeah. So no, just uh, very funny, very fun sketch. All right, Rich, camp out farm. Okay. So I was really fun. One of the, you know, we talk about the big theme of this episode is is this Christmas episode. But I think what we haven't talked about is that they really, in in a very subtle and wonderful way, made this a very female empowered episode. You see that throughout the night from the beginning to, you know, to Whiskers Are We, that it was a real, without the, you know, in in a very much is a throwback to Barbie, which, you know, Kristen, uh, I'm sorry, which uh, uh, Kate was in with Greta and Billy doing the music. So it was really of a piece. And I felt like this was a wonderful of a piece kind of thing. I thought this was really fun. The lyrics were catchy and it was so fun and silly. Um, I watched it twice. Now I will say I am not the target audience for this video. I understand that I am not the target audience. Uh, I, but I will say, and I watched it twice. I wish I liked it more because I don't know what the comedic premise of this was. I thought what we were starting out was, well, let me talk for a second, TJ. Jeez, jeez, your mic was cutting out in before we started, and now it's working freaking perfectly. There's something (laughs) up, man, say it. Like, for me, I thought it was going to be, oh, these are the silly preconceived notions that men have about tampons, and we're going to make fun of men without ever, ever showing men. And then there were so many silly things in different ways that I couldn't get. Is that Pongo? Well, now the dogs are mad at me. I can't. Yeah. Uh, So so as much as I liked it, I wish that I loved it because I was like... And I'm like, as silly as this is, there's there's got to be a point to this. There's got to be a game. There's got to be a message. And watching it twice, I never got it other than this was super silly. And we're just going to be silly about a topic that has weirdly been taboo for so long, which I love. So I didn't like it as much as you guys. I liked it. I didn't love it. And I also understand if the writers and performers said, oh, a 55-year-old white man didn't get it, fuck them. I would be totally like, yep. Check, got it, no problem, good. Uh, but I wish I liked it as much as you guys did. Let's let Kirsten respond to Rich on this. Yeah. I love that you are acknowledging that it's not, every sketch is not for everyone, because that's exactly it. Um, yeah. I think, and someone commented, yeah, this is a bit of a, an Indigo Girls parody. I think it is a little bit about where tampons come from but in a in a very subversive way like it doesn't need to be as overt as the tiktok videos where they're literally asking males on the street how they're made where they come from and where they go um it was a funny enough way to do that but i think it was more um i think it was a mix-up of kate and her very kind of vocal proud stance on um representing the gay people, I guess, like just, she's always had a lot to say about, um, her, about being a gay person. And so kind of taking the piss out of that a little bit combined with the tampons combined with indigo girls, I think it was a good mishmash of all of them. And also when you've got all these women in the building willing to do cameos, like, okay, what are we going to do with all these women? And I think that there are just so many places you could take that. And that's obviously what they did. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, great. Great sketch here. Go ahead, Rich. No, no, no. It was interesting to hear Kristen say that. And I love that in hearing it, I was still like, oh, just as the comedy purist, I'm like, what's the game of the scene? And I almost felt like the big miss for me was Marcelo. Like, I think if Marcelo was more of a like, what are these people doing? Then I would understand 
oh, as crazy as these women are, men are stupid got it or men don't get it or something like it, it felt like it was, it was, it was still uh, muddy for me. But again, that's what I love about Saturday Night Live. We, I, I love that. As I, and I, by the way, I liked it. I just didn't get it. But I also understand maybe the point of the sketch is that people like me don't get it. I'm dumb and that's fine. No, but you know what though, that last line around how they're not, their business failed because they were just singing. Like they, I think they could have leaned into that. Like even if he'd been the delivery guy, like coming to pick up the boxes and nothing's ready because they're just strumming guitars, right? And he's like, <laughs> the heck, lady, ladies. Um, then it it highlights more that ending and gives him more of a role than just looky loo of sorts. Cause that feels like an old one. Like, come on, so you want sure, go watch the lesbians, which feels very eighties, nineties comedy, like American Pie kind of stuff. So that I felt that felt beneath where we are right now um i think it would have been funnier to lean in on that business aspect that like they can have a successful business these women just can't get their shit together right now and if that was that i would love that that if that was with if that was the game of the scene i'm all in totally totally also like rich if it's any consolation like i don't know a ton about tampons myself like i know like the basic function but like if you ask me questions about sizing i'm not sure <laughs> that's a consolation been- Hmm? Well, no, but like, no, I'm not going to pretend like I know like a ton about it. I'm more comfortable with it because my generation has been trying to normalize talks about, you know, the body and what the body goes through and stuff like that. I'm not saying everyone's thinking about it. I don't know any woman who loves a period, but it's just like, it is what it is. But I don't think that's the game of the sketch. I think the minute you see a tampon made into a piece of cauliflower and one of the most preeminent music musicians, American musicians, shaking a tree of tampons, I don't really ask the question, oh, what's the game of the sketch? Because I'm like, oh, it's I, I get the, the absurdist likeness of it. But like, I do like because like, I think there was a couple lines in there. I was like, oh, I didn't like know that. Like, there's still stuff I don't know. But like, I do. I, I can see where your perspective is 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 on it, and it is like intriguing. But I guess it was the visual gags what are really really got me mm. because that's so clearly not supposed to be the thing, and so it's intriguing to to hear like your take. And I don't think it's like a, a your dumb thing. I just think it's just like a different perception thing. Yeah, I I for one think that was a bloody good sketch. So uh, oh let's keep- my oh, gosh. Christ. <laughs> It's, uh, why it's don't the you last round table of 2023. I had to get one in there. Um, yes. Uh, well, right. is, that a, is that another? Was, it, was that another one? You gotta, you, you guys gotta you, watch him. All right, you gotta listeners you get don't, don't tolerate yourself, this Don. when I'm not here. Okay. Yes. Seriously. Um, yes. I, and by the way, on the on the bingo card of things that TJ uh, didn't know much about, I didn't think we were going to be getting into his thoughts on tampons tonight. But just it was just, a sketch <laughs> called Tampon Farm, like. Yes, but uh, but just in case for any of the listeners who did want to follow along at home um, to talk about TJ's uh, thoughts on things what? he doesn't know, uh, I'm just going to bring it up on screen. So we do have this video card that was created for all of you. So here's the uh, TJ Randolph bingo card with all the different what potential the categories of things that he may not know. So if he can fit tampon into one of these... Then, uh, oh, there we go. So, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> yeah. Hold on. I need, you need to send it to yes. me. I need to take a picture of that. I'll, I'll, send oh it to you. I'll send it to you after the show. But just, just for anyone who wants to screen cap it, uh, in 2024, we're going to do some fun TJ Randall bingo. Mark your card TJ does not know. Is, I, I need to see yeah. this. Oh, my God. Yeah. Can, yes. can you read so. out a few of the, of the things here <laughs> sure, for, the, sure. for the Fictional characters. Uh, of course, you, you know, your center square has to be white sitcom, as we discussed. Um, so, yeah, here we go. All the all the SNN panelists you've never heard of. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 so, hold on. This is a list of, of things, 25 things TJ Randolph doesn't know. I know exactly. plenty of white sitcoms. <laughs> uh, apparently not, but yeah. Uh, th- thanks to intern Matt on that one. Um, okay, let's keep going wow. with the sketch. Who that, made that? Uh, yeah, it was, it was Matt. He was great. Uh, let's talk about uh, Gifts from Mom, which was a sketch that came uh, around the middle of the show where we saw plenty of great cast members in this one. So here we have Kate and JJ as the parents. We've got Marcelo and Chloe as a couple. we got Molly and Devin as another couple. And it's Christmas time, so mom's going to give out the gifts. And Kate walks around and, and starts giving out gifts. But she's really self-deprecating when she's giving them out, saying, you know, I was, you know, I'm, I'm so dumb. I know they're disgusting. Uh, I think she says at one point, uh, she, <laughs> she, she says this. I know. They're disgusting. I'm an idiot and a bitch. <laughs> just like wait where is this going um and it just keeps escalating from there to the points where she's just saying like i i like fml um like i i can't believe that like i like I, i'm so glad that you guys like didn't come out in certain ways like i think uh here's a line i liked i'm lucky you didn't come out whores <laughs> <laughs> so it just keeps getting escal- uh, worse and worse and we also have the contrast of jj giving these like really like innocent and stupid gifts to the kids but i i'll say the reason why i like this sketch again in a, in a night full of like dumb fun this was the sketch that i thought was like a really smart interesting premise you could almost describe it as slice of life where you're just you know doing a sketch which kate plays really well from the perspective of a mom who is extremely insecure about where she is in her life and the fact that her two daughters have grown up and you know met people and they're coming back you know bringing their partners home and then they just feel like inferior or don't feel valued and loved by their kids anymore so they're trying to make up for it with the gifts but then also have this balance you know of being self-deprecating and for me like i just felt like kate like walked that line so so well to the point where it was like it didn't get uh kate like cartoony which i think is what we get sometimes throughout the years with her and i felt this like stayed grounded in the show itself so for me like i really love this sketch and i almost feel like in a night full of cameos and big moments this one could go underappreciated so i thought it'd be important to bring up rich i'd love to know what you thought of it though go to tj or Kristen first okay all right kirsten what do you think (laughs) um it was fun. The, I think the the premise became somewhat obvious early on, and it did escalate, which was fun. Um, I think you probably have a, a more like a, a greater family dynamic going on because there are a lot of moms I know that are like this, not just because their kids have grown up; they're just always like this, and it's a real weird, anxious thing of theirs. So it was fun to see that played up. Like I could identify—not that this is my mom, but I could identify that persona who, you know, oh, I, I have the receipt, I did my best, put me in a home, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks, I hope I can fit it over my bitch body. Like, that to me was the funnier part is all of those lines, because once I understood what was happening, um, I was just waiting to see what she was going to say next. And then the fact that the dad gives such ignorant gifts, but is like, totally fine with it. The stupidest gifts, most insensitive, inappropriate gifts doesn't think twice. 
that was also the fun mom dad thing. And that's for me, this whole idea of, you know, a holiday episode where we're all going to experience some form of these dynamics when we go home for the holidays where gifting and the awkwardness of people introducing partners and such. Um, that's always a fun thing to play into as I was talking about earlier. But for me, this one was all about how many times Kate can say interesting, horrible things about herself as this character. Which is, to me, this is like way less about the comedy of the sketch. I, I know it's a comedy sketch, but it's way less about that. And it was more about like just hitting on something that I just found like really like fascinating, which is the idea of, you know, when you do give a gift to someone and you have them open it up in front of you, like the ang- pure anxiety of like whether they're going to like the gift or not, I think is like mm-hmm. a really interesting subject that I don't really see talked about too much on here. Like, yeah, we did the whole thing with a few years back where they like brought up like the different signs and stuff like that as gifts. But it, this to me was more more grounded in something that I felt like was more unique to earlier days of the show, like in the previous eras where they would touch on something like this. Um, TJ, let me go to you. What did you think on this one? First of all, don't act like you didn't just do what you just did, um, but making a bingo card of 25 things that this young man does not know. How dare you? Um, But honestly, that's one of the funniest things I've seen this week. So well done, uh, whoever did that. as long as it's not insinuating that I'm dumb, I'm t- I'm choosing to take it in good in good spirit. Um, You're just smart in different ways, TJ. That's all. I, oh, I hate <laughs> all of you. Um, but like, no. But that aside. Uh, so for this sketch, um, I love John's note that you just brought up because I'm somebody who hates giving gifts. I'm somebody who hates receiving them. Actually, I hate giving gifts so much that I would almost rather never someone give me a gift. If it means I got to sacrifice the obligation of giving a gift, the feeling of the op- of like an obligation, the imaginary obligation that you create in your head when somebody gives you something, you're like, oh, shoot, I got to get somebody something. And then also the feeling you get when you have to open a gift in front of somebody and you don't know if this person's a shitty or a good gift giver yet. Like, if I could erase those four feelings myself as somebody like, that's just not my love language, like at all. Like, yes, I've gotten gifts and I really like them. You know, buy me, buy me a Pokemon plush. Like that's the easiest thing to get me. Um, Does it have holes? Stop it. Um, <laughs> How about I, I some pants with a sewn in belt? Dockers. So, <laughs> just getting back. So if I can never feel those four feelings ever again, I would be glad to i would be glad to never get another like material gift a day in my life so i did love touching on that note also just want to shout out something uh there's a lot, there was a lot of really good things to shout out in this episode one uh kate is a mom always a win uh just the same as like beck is a dad or or uh heidi is a wife or beck is a sorry i said beck is a dad or or mikey mikey's a really good dad i don't think we talk about mikey as a dad or a husband enough i think he's he's i think he's like pretty good pretty good up there as well but kate as a mom is good and also when we in pongo when we got to have kate as a grandma like two just knockouts um there's something so beautiful about like <laughs> shitty male confidence and gift giving to give your potential son-in-law a book that says how to pick up women in front of your daughter and then say oh you guys won't be together in six months has to be one of the most cold-blooded, confident things I've ever seen. Can you imagine the gusto of doing that before family dinner? 
But that was what was so <gasps> brilliant here is like you you have the complete contrast of JJ who's doing the overconfident dad who like doesn't oh, give exactly, a shit yeah. about anything with the over anxious mom. So I just felt like uh, I, I just felt like there was so so much here. So rich, I'm bracing myself to hear what you thought of it. <laughs> well, I'm so happy that Kirsten was mixed on this. So I don't, I'm not the Grinch who's bringing Cole to the podcast, uh, uh, which is so unlike me. I'm usually on the other side of this. Uh, yeah, this didn't work as well for me. I, I loved the beginning. As soon as she says, oh, I have the receipt, and, you know, like I was like, oh, all right, I know what this is. Just as TJ was saying, like, what if you don't like the gift? And if that was the sketch for me, I would have loved it, but it turned into a mom who's self-loathing and hates herself. And that's a different sketch. So now I'm watching a different sketch, but then JJ's giving gift was this wonderful back to the sketch that I wanted to see, but I didn't get to see. And we're in this weird, I, I don't know what I'm watching. So instead I was hanging my hat on a lot of the lines that she was saying that were very funny, but there was then too much filler of other people talking to move the sketch forward that was just taking, there was too much air in between the lines that Kate was saying that was very funny. So for me, it was sort of a, it was, it was a real mishmash of like two different sketches. I just wish they had chosen a lane. If it could have been about people who are so nervous about gifts that they give, I love it. If it's going to be a sketch about moms who are self-loathing and think that their pieces of garbage, I don't. I don't get that, but that's a different sketch for me because this was this weird kind of hybrid mashup. Neither landed for me. And it was still amusing because Kate's great and she can do, you know, the lines she delivered so well. But it was, I, I definitely left more with a shrug than than I did, like, oh, that was really good. And can I say on that point too, I think what evidences so well what you've just said is the fact that the husband and wife characters never interacted as much. Like he never tried to say, honey, they're going to love it really. Like they're, they, they were very separate in their own ways. So they were on their own paths or yeah, kind of, kind of split screen right in there. And it could have been those two sketches you talked about. Yeah, I think, I think I see, definitely see your point. I think the reason maybe I connected those two points together so much more than maybe you did, Rich, was because um, I related a lot to it in terms of like, like moving out of my parents house a few years back and then like you know my mom like adjusting to me not being at home and then like seeing her like over enthusiasm for like whenever or like over, like her uh, appreciation for like the time that we do spend together in a way that wasn't when I was like seeing her every day type of thing and I could see like it's just like when you're I, I could see it through her like when you go, when your kids go through that like stage of life where they really like move apart and like build a life for themselves, like outside of the home, I, I think like the, uh, the idea that the mom becomes like very anxious about how they relate to their kids is really fascinating. And I think it was done through the vehicle of gift giving here, where maybe the self-loathing part was uh, too much to be able to like get that point across to the average viewer where it just became a point of like, how much is she going to hate herself? So I could see where it gets a little muddy. But I do think there is a like a connection point between those two ideas. I love the sketch you just described. And if you got that from the sketch, then it worked and it's great. I didn't get that. For me, it was just about a woman who hates herself, which and I didn't get those connections. But I love that you yeah. did. It's a dime a dozen, honestly. Um, yeah. 
Okay, well, f- fair enough. Well, look, we, there's a lot of stuff on this. We're, we're like, we're, we're going very long. It's going to be the longest round table of the season, but it was a great episode to talk about. So let's just keep going. So we're going to go one more time around the round table and talk about anything else on the episode that we want to cover that we haven't talked about yet. So TJ, I'll start with you. Is there something that you would like us to talk about and do some rapid fire on? Uh, yeah, uh, two things. One, rapid fire, just quick shout out to music. Billie Eilish, great, phenomenal <sighs> performer. Like, I, I, her rendition of I Love You when she performed on the show the first time and then this rendition of What Was I Made For? Like, not gonna lie, they both, those make me emotional. Like, it just, it, it wells up like great performer. Always, I always love the Phineas is there every time. This is nice, you know? Also, love seeing Greta. Uh, but the main thing that I think we all clearly need to talk about if, is that Weekend Update was fucking immaculate this episode from the rich auntie with no kids to the great not like you know knockout jokes that auntie with two kids like that deserves such a big shout out um but i think we have to talk about joke swap right we we have to the fact that colin joe's called scarlett johansson's films little my wife's little art movies oh here's here let me play the line for the listeners so oh, yeah, that please, they can, please, can please one more time i'm finally able to enjoy my wife's little art movie <laughs> <laughs> i i just watched it again before we got started recording i i as a matter of fact, it was one of the last things i watched before we like I, I had to hop on here and i actually had to focus to sit down and watch it because i was laughing so hard from that and the fact that like afterwards i cannot believe michael che- i mean yes i can i can believe it the fact that michael che wrote the line that scarlett johansson is a better black widow than Scaretta, like coretta scott king is I think one of the best jokes I've ever heard of my entire life. I I know I'm like I'm being a little hyperbolic, but like for me who loves like race based humor and just like all the beats of that and the fact that it's said by her husband. Like I'm not gonna lie, I thought Colin for the first time Colin got Michael on the ropes when Mike, Michael had to talk about the Middle East. Like that was the first time we saw oh. Colin get like Colin like he had him, he had him. Oh, but Michael. Having having the doctor there and that last joke, the minute you have Michael write a Scarlett Johansson joke and if Kyle read it, it's done. I still remember my reaction to the Scarlett Johansson joke from the last joke swap. Um, I can't remember the joke. Oh, yeah, about the Sammy Davis Jr. Like, I'm still laughing about that. And it's been at least two or three years since that joke, right? Just joke swap. Season 46. Now, thank you. Um, joke swap. It, this... This is just another beat on why this was a great Christmas episode. Because we got a gift. Us as SNL fans, like, and not just SNL fans, those, um, the clips I've been seeing shared around on SNL lately on Instagram this past month has been um, the Adam Driver clip where he's at the piano and he's saying like, oh, do you know those couples who prank each other on TikTok? Can you kill those people? Shout out to that. Which is the same thing. But, and then this, the joke swap clip, like the, and not even the full thing. People are just taking one of the jokes. They're not even sometimes editing in the doctor or the graphic. So they just have Colin Joe saying these things or Michael Chase saying these things like out of context, but like people get it. Like that's already being shared around a lot, but like joke swap, I think it's just one, like it's, it's their weekend update thing. Like I've often wondered what is like, what is the Colin and Chase like weekend update thing? That's it. It's it's joke swap. We've known this for a while. And let's be honest, we all thought it was it was over. We all thought it was over. And the fact that unlike my dad with the milk and cigarettes, the fact that it came back, oh, oh my God. Just 
I was so gleeful. It was great. And it was funny. So just just loved it. Just I this it it took this episode from like I'm having a great time to how the hell could this episode lose? Like like it, there's no there's no losing from here for me. I mean, yes, you could have. It could, the le- yeah, sorry. It was so fantastic, and like I don't want to skip over uh, Ego as Veranda, the rich auntie. No, not all. Because, she was also um, great. Yeah, she was so great. Where um, you know, she said uh, this. Michael, I am cutting up today. <laughs> <laughs> she <laughs> some fantastic she lines, fantastic. Um, which which we'll probably uh, go through another time. But seriously, one of my favorite Ego characters she's ever done. But that joke swap was so good. Uh, Saturday night, everybody was like. John, who was that woman? Like, so basically, her name is Daphne Skeeter. Uh, she is an extra that was brought on to play Dr. Hattie Davis, so not a real person who was on season three of the show. But still, my uh, so just to again give this full context of this, I believe that uh, this woman was not there for the dress rehearsal version. So this was completely raw for Colin Jost to then be brought this woman to be brought up who he may not have known who she actually was and then had to experience this whole thing. And Rich, for me, like the, the line of this whole thing was when he was just like, he, he said the whole, <laughs> the whole thing about uh, anger. And then he was like, am I right? <laughs> and like, hell. Oh. <laughs> oh, I think it was like, bitches love bringing up old stuff. And they, oh, Bridget, yeah, that's what it was. Excuse me. Yes, am I yes. right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I will agree. This was a high point of the night. I am going to comedy nerd for a second, so oh, be no. ready to all roll your eyes at me. You're Even on this the podcast. F- I know. I roll know. Come at on. You. I'm just. I, I'm going to be self aware when I say this. The whole premise of the Hattie Davis character didn't make an ounce of sense because even in the fictitious world of of what they're presenting, the character that you know Hattie Davis has heard them say Michael Che wrote these jokes for Colin. So why would Colin be embarrassed to say them in front of an activist if the character of Hattie Davis heard Michael and Colin explain the premise up first? So I to me it didn't add and it almost took away because we know even in the we don't even I didn't know she wasn't real but even if she was real she heard Michael Chase say I wrote these jokes for Colin and then Colin was saying them and being embarrassed that so so that didn't work for me because it didn't but make I, any sense I, let me jump me. in on that because I, to, I totally disagree because yeah. the uh, yeah if you're buying into the idea of the joke swap in the first place then yeah. it's the it's the whole concept is basically like like what you're saying would undercut joke swap altogether because then it's like these two people can get away with anything and it doesn't really matter what they're saying but the reason that joke swap is so funny is like you know that these you know that the other person wrote it but it's still so bad that these people have to say it so it's not it's not about the fact that the other person wrote it it's the fact that they're being put in a position to have to say it and now it escalated because he has to say it in front of this woman and it's like oh no, <laughs> the, the awkward face, like everything. Yeah, I hear you. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. It doesn't doesn't make sense to me. It's just saying it to the audience and the camera, and them being clips are so funny and watching his pain of saying them out loud, but saying it in front of a single person that knows it, it didn't work for me. But that's okay. But and I will say, agree to disagree. Overall, I loved it. And and I will say, and, and TJ hit on something that's really important. When they first started doing this, it was always fun, but it was usually Colin throwing softballs and Michael throwing fastballs. And Ooh. now it's they're both throwing heat. And Whew. it was when he started with the Gaza thing, I was like, where is he going with this joke? And then when it lands on the G, I was like, oh, <laughs> so I love that. I love I love seeing Che uncomfortable because usually he's just like, 
and this was like ooh. so it was it was hitting hard on saturday night it was really fun and you could also see like in let me just jump as i say you could also see like in che's head he's probably thinking like after the shit that snl got last week for the cold open the fact that i have to say this yep. now is like yep. terrible so uh it was yeah. so so good yeah. Oh, that's right. They did get a lot of lot of, lot of ish. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of heat coming their way throughout the week. So I just think that made the whole thing even funnier. Uh, let me get Kirsten's yeah, thoughts yeah. on Joke Swap. Echo everything. Like it was a massive highlight. I, how do you escalate it without just becoming completely depraved? But they still remained really smart in how they did it. Um, I loved that they had this extra witness to what he was saying. And I, John, I do agree. Like if, if the premise is that, well, we all know they're scripted. Well, we all know, and we still are just as appalled and delighted and disgusted and revolted by all these things. Cause they're so horrible to voice and put actual, you know, words to on camera. And then here she was, yeah, right beside him. So he couldn't even hide behind the fact that I can't see the audience. No, she was right there. And I, I agree like, well, I think it's a fact, but that he, she wasn't there for dress. He seemed genuinely taken back that this woman was going to sit there and he wouldn't have had time to look up anything or validate who she was. So he, he felt himself very much in a situation. And I also write the, am I right with the fist pump just cracked me up. The other line that I really enjoyed is just going back to ego where she said, it's your, it's your boss, Lauren Mitchell's. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh. God, that was that was so, so funny. Uh, the uh, yeah, some of those jokes were actually also raw for for the live show. So like it wasn't just the Hattie Davis thing. Like some of the jokes right. were either new jokes or jokes from um, last year. They did uh, they did joke swap, but it got cut because of Cecily's goodbye and stuff for the mm. weekend update. Um, so they yeah yeah last year season forty eight there was a cut joke swap from uh, the weekend update from the Christmas show. So basically they did go back to the well on a couple of those things. But from my understanding is this was like as fresh as you're going to get for a joke swap, which made it all the more powerful. And, and Rich, I'm going to add, it's not just like, I, I think the something that does add it is like, even though the actress or like the, the activist or whatever, even though she's aware that like, okay, Michael Che wrote these jokes, they're still super dark jokes. And I don't even think it matters that it's coming from a white man. It's that it's coming from anyone, especially any joke about Coretta Scott King, who like is viewed as like, you know, we don't like we don't like joke about her kind of fashion. I think it's that plus Colin has to look over and see an intelligent activist, disabled black woman. And he has to say these things still in front of her. So I think her being there still does work, even though everyone's in on the joke. He still has to get it out. And now, instead of just seeing Wally with the cue cards and Lauren off to the side, he has someone else besides Michael that's on stage that is watching him say these things. So I, I do think there is a lot that it does actually uh, add to it. You know, in a respectful, agree to disagree kind of way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's more about the cringe than the 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 offensiveness itself. It's the mm. cringe mm -hmm. of him. And mm -hmm. I don't think that her being there added cringe necessarily. But that's me. That's okay. And by the way, just a quick shout out, just to say that, because you guys were talking about Ego, as, a, as, as an uncle who does not have kids himself, 
that is a character that is long overdue. The 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 when you not being stressed at Christmas because you don't have kids, you send this clip to my sister who has three kids, and uh, she will laugh hysterically at me because we have had a conversation like this a million times. So this was a wonderful character. There's just so many perfect lines in that. They're so good. Do they not call you uncle because of this? Just because my sister got knocked up don't mean my name changed. <laughs> I screamed in laughter at that. I screamed at that. That was fantastic. We, we, yeah. talk, we, we talk a lot about like Heidi's great update characters and, and I will like, you know, talk to death about them. But yeah. like it was this that just I feel like maybe she's his ego doesn't do it as much. But let's let's take a quick like gander behind us. Ego has some knockouts that she's done that she's oh, brought. Oh my like, god! And I don't, I don't. And we talk about how great Ego is, but like, just another notch in the belt of just like, I like. Why do we sometimes forget like how good? She, it's not that we forget. It's just it. it it's like that was maybe it's also because like I'm like. I just think a current Longfellow would become like my favorite update people that have rolled onto the desk in the last mm. couple of years. Um, but uh, I will say, was this potentially Veranda from Temecula? Because I ain't stinking up mine with all that Christmas meat. I thought about that. <laughs> I did. I did think about the voice that she did. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a little mistake there. Yeah. Right. Uh, Rich, anything else from the episode you want to rapid fire on? No, I mean, that was all, everything was great. You know, you mentioned uh, Billie Eilish, just so tremendous, so good. And also, by the way, and maybe this is me, the sound in her first song was so clear. I felt like Billie Eilish was in my living room singing. Mm -hmm. It was so, you could hear her breath as she was breathing in. It was so mm -hmm. intimate and so wonderful. And so I just, I, I, I love the whole vibe of the night. Go back and rewatch her singing I Love You on the show before it gets taken down on YouTube. Same, like, I don't know if it's the same sound mix, but, like, similar vibe. Um, but I think mm. this was a small evolution, like, of that. that I, I completely yeah. agree with I really I loved when they, they started showing the cast members as, like, as when they were younger. That made me tear up. I'm not going to lie. I like, was it just did. Like, I, that. I was, yeah. yeah I, like, it, it, it got me. Kirsten, anything else on your list of notes? Oh, sorry. Uh, let me go to Kirsten on this. Uh, anything yeah, yeah. else on your list of notes uh, that you want to mention? Um. One very stray is I love the Skittles puke. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, was that was funny. funny. Um, my last comments again, Billie Eilish. Yes, I. It made me emotional as well because of all the things you've touched on. It felt, first of all, she's phenomenally talented, and to you know be able to just hear someone breathe and to hear that kind of really delicate song being delivered in such a beautiful, simple way was stunning. And then those photos of not only her and Barbie cast members, but I think Maya and Ego and the, yeah. like all those people in there, like they kind of trickled in and was just so sweet and touching. Um, and I want to give it up to and acknowledge that Billie Eilish dresses her age and she's not covered in makeup and dressed in hardly any clothes. Like, I don't know, is her name Tate? I don't know, the girl who Tate was on a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I don't really know her that well. I actually think she's Canadian also, but um, I'm not going to pick on her, but just generally, like, younger pop stars are very sexy, and that has become the way to, to sell records and to make money. And I do love that Billie Eilish dressed her age and didn't really have much makeup on and is so talented and is working with her brother and there's just such a beautiful wholesomeness 
and authenticity to everything that she does on that show. And I just wanted to acknowledge that she was wearing clothing. Yeah. <laughs> you really didn't like that Tate McRae performance, did you? It was fine, but it was. <laughs> Defend your fellow Canadians. No, I don't, I'm not going to. Def- We've got enough <laughs> great Canadians. I am not going to defend her. Um, fair enough. Well, so uh, the only other thing I just wanted to mention as I was doing my sound clips today uh, and going over them that I thought was uh, really funny. This is honestly maybe one of my favorite lines from the entire episode and a sketch that I thought was just okay. But uh, this line from Kate. And F you, Judy Garland, F you to hell. Wizard of Oz was mid. I thought that was a good line. I did, that, was that was a such a good too. line. Like I just want to like just appreciate that line of Wizard of Oz was mid was so funny to me. Um, but yeah, of course. Uh, this, like I said, I, I love this episode because it was jam packed. Like we already be talking for an hour and forty minutes, and there's like a million sketches and other moments of the night that we didn't even talk about that we won't get to tonight. But of course, uh, you know, we may get to them on by the numbers later in the week or, or on the SNN uh, patron sketch breakdown or whichever sketch that you guys end up choosing, you patrons. But for now, let's talk about the MVP from the week. So let me give you the stats from this week at Saturday Night Live. So we got Kate McKinnon who was in nine sketches. We had appearances from Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig who were both in three sketches. Greta Gerwig was in one sketch, Tampon Farm, and also introed one of Billy's performances. We had the great Paula Pell show up as well for Tampon Farm. Billie Eilish was did uh, did two songs and was in two sketches. Phineas was also there. Chloe Feynman, six sketches. J.A.J., four sketches and two voiceovers. Mikey Day, three sketches and one voiceover. We have also three sketches from Keenan, Ego, Owen, and Dismukes. Two sketches from Heidi, Punky, and Sarah. Jost and Jay were absolutely brilliant this week on Weekend Update. For the feature players, Marcelo and Molly, both in three sketches. Michael Longfellow, Chloe Trost, and Devin Walker in two sketches as well. So let's get the top three week, uh, top three MVP votes for this week, week number nine, uh, week number eight, uh, season forty-nine. TJ, who do you think the voters put down? Oh, I'm gonna say Ego's somewhere. Oh wait, do I need to give an order? Yeah, give me top three. Uh, come, come back to me. Come back to me. Okay, Rich, you wanna go first? I'm gonna guess that the audience said I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna go Sarah Sherman first, Kate McKinnon, Billie Eilish. Okay, Kirsten. First, Kate. Second, Billy. Third, Maya's face. All right, TJ. Uh, I'm gonna say Kate, Billy. Um. I'm going to say Che Jost is a duo with Billy as an, no, not with uh, Ego as an honorable mention. All right. Well, for the first time of doing this MVP voting, I think in the history of us doing this here, we don't have any regular sketch performers in the top five MVP votes because um, I should say season 49, episode eight. So apologize for that. But season 49, episode eight MVP, Kate McKinnon first, 38%, Billy Eilish, mm-hmm. 15%. Maya Rudolph, Amazing. 10%. Kristen Wiig, 8%. And Colin Jost at 7%. So uh, this is like, if you, yeah, if you ever, and, and Che was six. So if you ever expected this to happen, I think on the Christmas show is where you would get this, where we have the host, the musical guest, two cameos, and then the Weekend Update performers is our top six MVP votes. But, you know, honestly, shout out to Sarah that you mentioned, Rich. And, um, you know, there, there were other great ones here. Ego as well, we talked about. So like, there's a lot of really good performances in this episode, but this was just a, a fantastic, uh, you know, a, a really interesting vote that we got here for season 49, episode eight MVP voting. All right, let's close the book 
2023 Saturday Night Live from Aubrey Plaza all the way to Kate McKinnon. And we're going to kick off 2024 with Jacob Alordi coming in for the first time to host Saturday mm-hmm. Night Live with music from Renee Rapp, obviously promoting the Mean Girls um, musical movie that is coming out. Uh, so a lot of people were wondering if this would be a Tina thing, but they got Renee Rapp here. So I know uh, this is very exciting for a lot of people. So TJ, what are your thoughts on Jacob Alordi kicking off SNL in 2024? Well, I feel proud because I know for a fact that unless you uh, are a Euphoria fan, unless you're like, I want to say like under, no, I don't want to say that. Sorry. I know for a fact this Ooh, is What the, were you going to say there? Age? Age? No. But I know for oh. a fact that this is the host this season, at least so far, sort of in a reggae Jean page way a couple of years ago, that if you saw this come up, you some people probably were like, who? But like I mean, like he's a good actor. He's in Euphoria. For those who don't know, he plays the villain in Euphoria. He's Nate Jacobs. He's evil, evil in Euphoria. But he's good. He's re- he's a great dramatic actor and comes across like he could be a bit of an a hole. So the fact that they're booking him, I'm so curious to see because he's a very dramatic actor. I think he's also playing Elvis and Priscilla. So I know why the hell would you book a guy who plays Elvis in a movie called Priscilla? Don't know. Um, instead of booking whoever played Priscilla, but you know. We just, I don't know. But, like, no, he's a, he's a really good dramatic actor. Um, really curious to see if he's funny because he's also had a thing recently where he's been kind of speaking down about some of the movies he did. Um, he was in those really crappy Netflix kissing booths, kissing booth movies, and he kind of talked down about them. And so to kind of speak badly about your part of the creator, some of his castmates were like, hey, we didn't, like, need you to do the movie. So really curious about this booking because is he going to, you know, be respectful of the cast? Is it going to be another bill Hader, justin bieber situation where like he's just not going to work well with people really curious about this because great dramatic and maybe he's really funny like he agreed to do this so i am fascinated by this booking i don't know renee rap that much i know she's really popular and she's in the mean girls movie so i'll i i realize i'll get to know her um but i did i confused her with the actress from hamilton renee elise goldberry until i realized that's a different renee that I was thinking of. So, you know, I, I'm, this, I'm, I'm intrigued by this episode. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to be. Tina's going to be there, right? I expect Tina to be there in the similar way that Amy was there last year when we did the Aubrey Plaza episode. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to get to see that. I do think uh, we may get Renee Rapp in sketches, potentially. Um, also, will be interesting to see, uh, you know, what uh if he talks about you know he's he's australian so other australians we've had host snl include like margot robbie uh, chris hemsworth uh hugh jackman and Elle mcpherson so um it would be interesting to get to see if we get any australian talk at all rich i know you were just elated when you saw jacob alordi's name pop up on screen so tell us oh my <laughs> god John, if you told me that these were the two fake names that lauren puts on the board when they're not sure who they're gonna book for the night i would believe you so uh <laughs> I, I know of renee rap i don't i don't know these people at all so i will just i will be interested to find out and get to know them on uh, in january Yes, maybe we will get a Renee rap that night. Would be fun to see. <laughs> Kirsten, what are your thoughts? Much like Rich, I don't know a lot. I know yeah. Jacob's name because he's been in the press a little bit, um, and I guess from Priscilla, but I have no idea what to expect. And I did not, and I do not know who Renee Rapp is. So I'm open minded. Um, I hope it goes well, and it's not he's not a flash in the pan type show one time. Um, but he, I suppose he's hot right now, as the kids say. I don't know, TJ. Do they say that still? 
again, if you're Gen Z or you're like a younger millennial, you definitely know who Jacob Elordi like is because Euphoria is one of the biggest HBO yeah. shows. And that younger, this is like for Gen Z's really been getting a lot of hosts this season, or at least a lot of musical guests. Um, and I think this is just another, this is one you will have a younger audience that's going to watch it. But Gen Z, we don't love him because we don't love his character in Euphoria, but it's, it, this one is very intriguing. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll also say like, um, I don't know if this is just a me thing, but the idea that SNL can book like a really special guest for Christmas and then the start of the new year book like a pretty unknown host to come in for the first time and it's like a start of the year feels fresh we get to like there's no expectations coming into the episode to me is a perfect booking it's what you want from the show at this point where we just got off of like the celebration of emma stone emma driver adam driver uh kate mckinnon and now we're like everything is fresh new ideas new host we get to like see what snl will look like in 2024 and and begin wondering about the future of the show so i i just uh i I love it every minute of this and i'm excited for what we're going to get so before we do get there so much more coverage here on the snn if you're looking for any snl coverage on your holidays including our by the number show where we will talk through this kate mckinnon and billy eilish episode of saturday night live go through all the screen time so i will be on with mike and victoria on wednesday night for that on thursday night It all comes down to this. The final three greatest cast members in SNL history, three, two, and one, will be revealed. And we'll talk through the top 50 as voted by you a few months ago. We'll get to reveal everything and talk it all through. So I hope you'll join us on Thursday night for that very special show. No Monday show next week due to Christmas, but we will be back on Wednesday of next week with our draft podcast that will be very exciting. We are drafting one time we are drafting one-time hosts in the history of the show. So that show will air uh, next Wednesday night, a week from uh, this Wednesday, that will be the 27th, I believe. And we'll have some best of stuff the week of the New Year's and come back at the start of the year with some fun content. So uh, looking forward to having you guys uh, a part of everything we're doing over the holidays and really appreciate everybody who's been with us all year long. Thank you for joining us tonight, of course. TJ, anything you would like to plug to the listeners? Um, Yeah, I have a 15-ish minute podcast called Rabbit Trail. That's R-A-B-I-D. Um, you can find it on all of your podcatchers. Um, uh, you can also find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at We Are Rabbit Trail. Again, that's R A B I D. And you can find me, TJ, on Instagram at King Compliment. Thank you for joining us, TJ. Rich, thank you as well. So great to have you every single year for the Christmas roundtable. So anything you love like it. To uh, only if you're in the LA area tomorrow, the 19th, I'm doing the Risk Storytelling Show uh, at the Lyric Hyperion, which will be super fun. And then on January 7th, I'm going to be doing Reveal Telling a Story in Glendale. So, and if you're not in LA, I don't, it's nice to know you. I, hello. That's it. I got nothing. <laughs> that is so Such cool, Rich. I love Risk. I love, okay. oh my God, that's awesome. Kirsten, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, anything you would like to plug? Thank you. Yes, um, we have our upcoming winter show for Generation Women, which is an intergenerational storytelling night. It is in the Toronto area, so unless you want to come to Toronto, it's in Toronto. Um, generationwomen.ca, and our theme for this one is Far From Home.
Very, very cool. Well, thank you all, like I said, once again, for joining us every single Monday night throughout the entire year. It was just such a pleasure to be live with you and uh, welcoming us into your homes as you, we get to talk some SNL all together. So if you want to keep up with everything we're doing, make sure to follow us on social media at the SNL Network, and you can subscribe to the podcast, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get those podcasts, follow us uh, and subscribe. All right. On behalf of TJ, Rich, and Kirsten, my name is John Schneider from the SNN. We will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.